Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffield. My golly gosh. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness. And Glenn Quarterman. Wow, we. A proud Victorian parked permanently in the West who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff Duff and Quarters. quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy podcast. It's unbelievable! Well, hello everybody. It is Thursday before the AFL Grand Final of 2022, the biggest game of the year. This is the Duff and Quarters podcast. We are, as always, brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch can better their bet. Download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly and please, if you encounter some difficulties, call the Gambler's Helpline on 1-800-858-858. Quarters... It's been a very big 24 hours in football. It's been a very tough 24 hours for you as a Hawthorne supporter, I have to say. And uh, congratulations on the great piece you wrote in the West in today's paper, uh, being Thursday's paper, and on the website, obviously, that um, um, as of yesterday afternoon. And um, how are you feeling a day on? Thanks, Duff. Let's expel some air before we get on to what we're really here for is the AFL Grand Final. But look, it's, it, we, it has to be discussed. It's as you and I both... Um, commented on today in the paper it's the biggest footy issue i can remember for some time and we must stress that these are allegations still at this stage everything's about proving um you know natural justice will take its course uh, developments today chris fagan has vigorously vigorously defended himself um like alistair clarkson did robustly last night he has um said i you know i can't recall being in any meetings where any of that was discussed i'm looking forward to um, I'm horrified at the allegations, but looking forward to clearing the air and having my um, having the uh, um, opportunity to um, give my uh, version of events. Um, of course, the other uh, development today, Jason Burt, who's the third Hawthorne player implicated in it. He was the football manager at the time. Um, he was in charge of football at Caulfield Grammar. He has now taken a leave of absence from that position uh, at Caulfield Grammar. Um, Again, um, these are all allegations. Uh, Today, Gil McLaughlin on ABC Radio suggested every AFL club should have an Indigenous representation. Uh, We know that that is the case here in Western Australia. This is on their boards. On their boards. So Ben Wyatt at West Coast. Since um, May last year, yep. Was arguably a candidate for the chairmanship before deciding he didn't have the time. Uh, Obviously, Paul Fitzpatrick got that job uh, late last week and Colleen Hayward at Fremantle. Since 2017. Yeah. So... uh, Highly valued member of the the Fremantle board, Colleen Hayward, actually. um, A person they often go to for wisdom, particularly where Indigenous matters are concerned. And so we wait for the four-person panel to be named. So So as we understand it, that happens today. Today or at the latest tomorrow, but we expect today. And the talk at this stage is there'll be two women on that panel. There'll be two uh, representatives, uh, Indigenous representatives, and we know it's going to be led by a King's Council. I don't know if that's in addition to or part of the four-person panel, but um, the sooner that happens, the better. And as long... And I'm, I'm all for um, a swift um, 
discussion on this, investigation into it, but as long as it's thorough, and I'm sure it will be, I like the way uh, they've gone external. I like the way it's beyond the reach of the AFL Integrity Unit and they've gone external. I really like that. I hope it continues heading in this direction. It's robust. It's thorough because this is seismic when it comes to football. As I wrote today, this could be bigger than Nicky Winmar lifting his jumper. Um, oh, it's, well, it's definitely bigger than that. I, I think that um, Nicky, Nicky's actions were the genesis yes, of, of a shift. But it was pivotal, wasn't it, to that? Yeah. Um, this, I, my view is that if proven, this is bigger than Essendon. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And, and look, as long as we can pivot on this moment and move forward, what disappointed me yesterday, and I woke up and all the feelings I had were there was anger, there was guilt. There was frustration. There was um, disbelief that this could actually happen. Um, and this is in the last. This is we believe during a period uh, between 2010 and 2016, not not too long ago. You know, I doubled down on my comment. I do think the AFL has been a leader in this area. We've got a great representation um, of First Nations people with it playing the game. Uh, representing something like 73 language groups. I think they have been on the front foot, but this stuff, it's just, it's so gutting when you read about it because you're just, when you think you're making, you're going ahead in leaps, you just realise we're nowhere near it. And I think if it shakes everybody to have a think about it, and I do like the argument that every AFL club, whether it's an informal audit, I think reach out to your Indigenous members, reach out to all your members, and let's have a look at where we really are at as opposed to where we think we're at because I think they're two very different things. That's definitely the case, but I think that's not just at footy clubs. Mm. I think that's across our society. And you are right that one thing the AFL does do is provide opportunity for Indigenous players. They are, according to per head of cap- capita, in the population, they are overrepresented. 12% VV, I think less than 2%. So, and that is because their their talent and their innate ability to play the game. Um, There is a gulf of understanding between non-Indigenous people and Indigenous people as to the cultural um, requirements and sensitivities and and also the family structures, the complex family structures that Indigenous people have. And um, if you go simplistically at that in a performance-based environment – with your only thought, um, I need a better outcome for my team, you are going to run into very, very dicey territory. And I think um, this is where Hawthorne is. As you mentioned, these are allegations. But if proven, if these allegations are proven, I think there are dire consequences for the coaching careers of oh, those people. Of Alistair Clark. Well, I don't think there is. There are coaching careers left for those those yeah. individuals. So. And I think they should take their time quarters. And I think they should they should take as long as it takes. And all I want to see from them, as an observer, is that they go where the facts lead them. Mm. That this is not a negotiated outcome, like we saw the AFL attempt to get to with Essendon, uh, which muddies the waters on what they were out, out to do and and that sort of thing. Let the facts go where they go. Let it take as long as it takes, and then let the consequences be what they will be. And if we've been, this is two clubs now who've had their internal and their external audit, and now it's it's gone further. We saw do better with Collingwood. I hate to think what's happened at some of the other clubs. So if this shakes this out, then that's a good thing because we need to. You're not going to move forward if you don't look back and seriously, you know, peel back the layers. 
Here's a question. So there would be a body that is the equivalent of WorkSafe in Victoria. It may even be called WorkSafe. I think it is called WorkSafe Victoria. Why are they not involved? I agree. This is the absolute definition of an unsafe workplace, so, is it not? So I think at this stage, I think this um, external four-person panel, what they uncover, I think then it may lead to WorkSafe Victoria. I think it has to because it's a if they're proven correct, if these allegations are proven true, then it is an unsafe work environment. And it goes beyond that, as we both agree on, I know, these are human rights violations. Yeah, absolutely. If they're proven true. Yep. So this is big, and those bodies, I think, will have to be involved if these allegations are proven true. Yep, I'd agree with all of that. I think this is a its a massive issue. You described it very well, seismic. Um, I, I often, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I grab my phone from next to the bed, put my glasses on, <laughs> read the no- notifications on my phone. I did a triple take. On this. Yeah, I did too. I yeah. just looked at it and I shook my head. Yeah, sometimes you've got to read it again just to let it sink in. Yeah. I, d- I did that on this occasion. I went, I've got to, well, what is what is this? Yeah. So, um, look, we just hope and we hope that it will be thorough. And I agree with you. As long as it takes, there is no rush with this. Yeah, I did like the first step of the AFL was an important step and that was make this investigation independent and put a seriously a heavy hitter a king's council just on a live note it's funny how they're king's councils now isn't it yeah it's hard to get used to but they are all king's councils apparently a lot of letterheads have been changed a lot lot of um, papers have been shredded Mm. just to get rid of the queen's council letterheads um yeah that that's a that's a really really important first step get that first step right and then you're half a chance of getting the rest of it right get that wrong and it is going to be a very muddied and compromised process. So the AFL has done that. They do not like distractions in the lead up to grand final week. And We've this had is, a couple. This is the mother of all distractions. This is the mother of all. Of course, earlier in the week we had Paddy Cripps Brownlow medal. There was a little bit of controversy, well, a lot of controversy, uh, revisiting the um, uh, the appeal that he won to overturn a two-week ban. So there's, it's been a bit of a messy week. Not a bit. It's been a very messy week. Yeah. And... Um, and you and I um, have discussed it, and I think we've got a pretty big game of footy that we probably need to focus on. Yeah, let's talk about Geelong versus Sydney at the MCG on Saturday afternoon. We're still playing day grand finals. Bit for of, one uh, more year. For yeah. one more year, you think? This will oh, be the last one? Twilight next year, yep. Okay. Why are you so sure about that? Uh, I think this is a bit of payola back to the Victorian footy public from the AFL saying, uh, you our, you know, the, the heartland, which the AFL would, <laughs> I know that that uh, raises your chagrin, but they would say that. Um, Ten clubs based there, they would say, we're going to give you payback for all your patience over the last, you haven't a grand final there for three years. Uh, of course, the Gabba and here last year. So we're going to give you one more day grand final. And um, I think the broadcaster will determine where what time slot it is in future. And I think Twilight is the perfect time slot. It, it, it make, keeps everyone happy. It has to become a night spectacle. So we say this every year, Quarters. Mm-hmm. We, we think we're headed to Twilight or nighttime. And they always find a way to crawl back to the yeah. 
today. I just I have I can feel it in my bones, in my waters. In your waters. I reckon it's in my, I reckon it's next year. There you go, folks. It's in quarters waters. Yeah, it's quarters waters. And speaking of which, does uh, the uh, grand final parade takes a bit bit of a different twist this year? Yes, the motor cable still exists, but they start in boats this year. My tip to them is don't keep your mouth closed as you're um, parading along the Yarra. You don't want any Yarra River water in that mouth. Yeah, you won't no. be playing on Saturday if you do. Speaking of muddying the waters, <laughs> they're already muddied along that little. Oh, they're stream. very. Very, very muddy. Yes. I, I love – so the Yarra says so much about Melbourne in terms of it's a narrow, ugly – Oh, it's beautiful, Duff. It but, is beautiful. But it makes the city. It does. Because it's easy to get around. You can walk along one side of the Yarra and yell out to someone along the other side of the Yarra. Mm. When I used to live in Hawthorne Quarters, I used to walk along the upper reaches of the Yarra uh, along the Collingwood shore – um, it's a beautiful into, walk, and isn't into it? Abbotsford. Beautiful it was walk. a truly beautiful walk. Yeah, yeah. along the there were um, boat houses there and um, and rowing clubs, and it was a yeah, it was a really lovely walk and um, and peaceful. Yeah, as well. and my favourite time of the year as a young, um, as a, a teenager, um, and into my twenties was every year before I was reporting on the grand final. We would roll up on the Yarra at the boat sheds across the road from um, from the MCG yep. and we'd have a barbie and the, all the you have to get there early because all the barbies are taken the electric barbies and it's such a spectacle along there on a on grand final morning couple of beers couple of sausages and then off to see the under 19s so my routine obviously covering the games was a bit different used to be staying at a hotel somewhere would go down to southbank and there was a couple of favourite breakfast places that had bacon and eggs, coffee. Um, sometimes I'd have to do a, a radio show for the ABC and then at the end of that, wander along to the game. And it was always just that special feeling when you walked into the ground. Oh, up Birurangma too, you know, to the, that great walk to the MCG. And then the other thing was when the um, – just in that, that pause when they're standing in the centre square waiting for the ball to bounce and you – Almost every year used to get this strong sensation. You were where every person in Australia wanted to be yeah, at the ground. I agree. I agree with that. Time. Yeah, I've had that feeling. And that tends when that t- countdown clock hits ten seconds. Yep. And it's just yeah, all the hairs stand up on the back of your neck. And that's not just if your team's playing. I agree with you. You do feel how lucky am I to be at this game yep. right now? Okay. So who's going to win? I'm going to pick the Cats. I'm going to pick them by 19 points if you want me to be specific. That's it's, it's as close as I can get Sydney to them. Um, it's going to be a hell of a game. My reasoning for that is can they curb Cameron and Hawkins on the same day? We expect uh, the McCartan twins to get them. Rampy may play a role, but we expect them to. So Cameron will play high. Hawkins will play deep. Um, the problem is, you know, Cameron can hurt you up the ground and he can hurt you deep. Hawkins generally plays deep, but he plays that ruck forward role and can. He's, I think, he's something like sixty odd assists, goal assists since round twenty. So that's where he's just a complete forward. I worry about them being able to curb those two. Um, I'm a bit happier with Sydney when you look at the two midfields matched up. Probably the Sydney skill inside fifty, I reckon, has got the edge. I'm worried about Sydney's forward line. Does Sam Reid get up? We'll talk about that in a minute. They both had closed training sessions today. 
I worry about that forward setup because of that. They've got some elite small forwards. They've got Isaac Heaney. They've got Tom Papley. They've got Gary Rowan. Um, they've got, um, obviously, Buddy Franklin, who will um, be playing on De Koning. And that's what a terrific matchup that's going to be, the young the young trooper against this. So you think that's the way they'll go? You think I do. De, you think De Koning gets Franklin? I do think at this stage, yes, I do. It's, it's plan, I think it is plan A, yep. There's some fascinating things about this game, and one is one of the fascinating things is the ruck setups of both clubs. Now, Tom Hickey's been enormous for Sydney. In both finals. But he's going he's gonna to be going up against a team that has this weird ruck structure that works. So if it's inside attacking 50, Tom Hawkins rucks for Geelong. If it's in the midfield... Sometimes Mark Blitzarves will ruck. And Reece Stanley almost drops back into defence and becomes the defensive ruckman. So Tom Hickey had a massive job last week. He had to ruck against um, Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox. Incidentally, just out of that, I reckon if you strap Craig McRae into a lie detector, I reckon you'd find he rorted the Medisub. Oh, no, surely not. He <clears throat> so, wanted it over here against Fremantle. So the interesting thing was was that normally Darcy Cameron takes most of the ruck knocks. Mason Cox takes a few. Mm-hmm. Um, up against a lone ruckman where they could have worn him out and worked him over, Mason Cox took an enormous amount of rucks early in the game and then Darcy Cameron rucked late and Mason Cox got subbed out. Didn't look overly injured. So he's he his go-to sub rotor. Because over here, Mason Cox was subbed out. In comes Ollie Henry, and so, it's really changed the game. So in came Kruger, who's a, a very mobile big man, not necessarily pure ruckman. Um, and by the end of it, Sydney was having to get players like Isaac Heaney um, and other players to take ruck knocks because Hickey was just so exhausted. So I think it was all a bit of a plan to uh, to work the ruckman over and wear him out. And I would love to know just how injured Mason Cox were was I suspect not very, and I suspect had uh, Collingwood been two points further along and therefore playing this week, I'm betting that Mason Cox would be lining up and not in any doubt in training yeah. in the week leading the, into well, the game. Well, the game against Fremantle had the injured oh. finger, and um, you can just you could you could almost we could absolutely mimic what was said. Coach, I'm fine. My finger's fine. No, it's not, Mason. Your finger isn't fine. Yeah. You stay off the ground, please. Sit Ollie, down, Ollie's, Mason. Sit Ollie's down. just kicked two. So, um, look, this morning we're told closed sessions. Um, uh, Holmes for Geelong did a fair bit of running and did, didn't take part in match sim. So what are you reading to that? He's playing. It's, it, why, why, why not playing in match sim? Why does that I, 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 read to play? Uh, I think there's a protection level there probably against him. Why does he have to play in match sim? So... If you're not ready on Thursday, what makes them think they're ready on Saturday? Yeah, well, we'll see. But I think if if it's true that it was they believe it was nerve pain that led to it, and it wasn't a, a hamstring strain as such. Did it look like nerve nerve pain? No, it didn't look like it to me. But he's look in his run throughs this week. He's looked okay. So we'll find out on Saturday. Quarters, I'll put it to you. Mm-hmm. So I've seen, um, obviously the the younger reporters tend to go to training sessions these days. Mm-hmm. But I've seen a lot of players just off hamstring injury. A lot of them run reasonably well because mm. they get them moving quickly. Because what happens with a hamstring injury is that the tear happens on the surface of the muscle and it, it sort of wrinkles back. So the first thing you've got to do to make sure it heals long so that you don't have future problems with it is, one, you've got to do enormous amount of stretching and you need to start that almost straight away and you need to get moving 
very quickly. So they don't move flat out, and I saw no evidence of Max Holmes being anywhere near flat out. No, he out. wasn't. He wasn't anywhere near flat out. Um, but is it a reasonable clip, though? Yeah, the footage I saw the other night, he was nowhere near flat out. Mm. Um, I just, look, you know what? You reckon he's playing? I reckon that would be the biggest, almost the biggest call Chris Scott's made in his coaching career. And the reason I say that, and I, I desperately feel for Max Holmes, but when you've got Sam Menegola, arguably arguably their best player in the 2020 He's their best life for life, isn't he? And he's their second best runner at the club after Mark Blitzavs, who's an Olympic standard athlete um, and ahead of Isaac Smith. Bumping Isaac Smith into third, which is no mean feat. Yeah, so he's an, he's an elite runner. You've got him. You've got Brandon Parfitt, who many people think will seek opportunity somewhere else just because, you know, Brandon Parfitt's a very, very good player. If he can't break into that team, maybe he has to seek opportunity somewhere else. And you've got Mark O'Connor, an incredibly versatile player who can play midfield as a big-bodied mid. He can play a countable midfield as a tagger. He can go back and be a, a, a mid-sized defender. And came on as a mid-sub last week. And is a good runner as mm. well. When you've got those three and they're sitting in reserve, and if you run a guy out there that breaks down halfway through the, thir- the first quarter... I, and you lose the game, gee whiz. It's a good call. Um, you talk about Holmes would be desperately unlucky, but Sam Menegola, I mean, this, this he was in the All-Australian 40 two years ago. Yep. And a bit unlucky not to I make think, the I, final I think, team. I think 12 months ago. Yeah, 12 months ago. Unlucky injuries this year. Just timing hasn't been great. But I call him desperately unlucky if he doesn't play. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I... I know Sam's father, Sean, very well. We went to school together, shared a house together, and um, spoke to Sean in the middle of the week. Very philosophical, um, very much the club line. Um, you know, it's it's hard to accept, but basically un- absolutely understands the club's position, uh, which is a, a very mature way for a family to look at this because... Um, having had a family member in the AFL system, it is a roller coaster, and there are a lot of emotions involved in it. So, um, I don't want to see Max Holmes miss out because of injury, but I, I do desperately feel for Sam Menegola in particular, out of all of those um, all of those emergencies. I'm, I'm going to say you're saying he's not. Uh, well, I just lean towards not playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Sydney closed session match sim. Sam Reed out in the track but took no part. I think he's more unlikely than likely to play. McInerney looked okay, took part in match sim. So I think he plays. Interestingly, Hayden McLean, who's one of um, Joel Amati, uh, along with Joel Amati, may come in. Um, incidentally, Peter Laddams will be kicking himself at the moment for being oh. suspended because he would be the next person in. And Peter, sorry, we've talked about hard Deserved luck stories. every second of it. Not, not hard luck story, no. Peter. No, it was a disgraceful act. Hayden McLean... Took part in match team, lined up in attack alongside Buddy. So I would suggest if Reed doesn't play, he is. Yep. No question on Logan McDonald. Logan McDonald plays. Uh, it's a balance question, but I think he has to play. It gives him another tall forward line. I thought he played a really important role last week. I think he can play a really important role this week. If, the, if Buddy's locked down, and the thing about Buddy... I'll add this. Last week, I loved his game. It wasn't just about getting high um, because we know beyond 50, Buddy's dangerous. It was the contested work. I've not seen him hit the packs like he did last week. So it was a selfless role, and I loved it. And I think if he brings that this week, 
which we he will. Um, he could play a really important role, Logan, and I, this could be a big day for Logan McDonald. And so, yes, he plays. Uh, incidentally, um, I there's been a bit of um, conjecture over the timing of Buddy's announcement for his uh, one more year at Sydney. I actually don't see why. I think it was a very selfless act, and I totally agree with their actions on it. There was speculation, is it going to be your last game, isn't it? Well, take that debate out of it. No, I'm playing for another year. Let's get on with it. So I, I really liked what they did this week. Sydney have handled it well. They're a good club. Isn't it amazing how um, when Buddy signed that deal, I'm actually writing a story on this for tomorrow, um, nine-year, $10 million deal, and everyone poo-pooed it and said, well, there's no way he's going to be there at the end. I did. I said, absolutely no chance. Yeah. I was wrong. It's a great effort. It's been a good relationship. I think, yes, it would be nice for him to win a premiership, to top it off, either this year or next. I don't necessarily think he has to to frank what's been a successful partnership up there. Franking the Franklin deal? No. I think it's already been a win for Sydney. So, and this is part of the focus of the the story I'm writing. Um don't give too much away. Well, no, I think I, I think I can to our yeah. listeners. Yes, And of then yes. everyone else can read it in the paper. Um, Franklin is not the $10 million man. He's the 7,000 fan man. So basically, Franklin was worth 7,000 bums on seats to Sydney the year he joined. And that tells you what a draw card he is. Basically, their crowds increased by uh, 20%. Because of Buddy. And most of them were on the ground this year when uh, he kicked his thousand. Oh, then and more. <laughs> them and I more. I still shake my head. I saw those scenes earlier in the week, and I didn't like it, and I still don't. But I still shake my head thinking of the Sydney players walking around the outside of the ground to get back to the Sydney change rooms. Yeah. Um, Apparently. It was, it, was, um, it was Chad Warner. Chad Warner was one. Was it Heaney? Was Heaney I think it might have been Heaney, yeah. But, um, Two pretty a, valuable players to be wandering out with the punters. And what I loved about it was um, uh, John Longmire inside the rooms with the group saying, where's Warner and, and um, Heaney? They're what? And they're just that big bellow laugh of his. Just your kid thought it was really funny. I didn't think it was very funny from Geelong's point of view that night, by the way. But um, anyway, it was, you know, we'll remember it, that's for sure. And he has been great for Sydney. Yeah, I hope. So that was a, a massive night. It went, the, the footage of it went everywhere around the world. That's great if you like that sort of thing. It's only going to take one really bad incident and we're all going to go, oh my God, how have we let this happen and that's what bothers me about that stuff so you haven't given us your tip yet no i'm gonna tip geelong yeah Margin. i think it's, uh seven points and i'm tipping tommy stewart so well, so am i to win the norm smith so i didn't give him a norm smith i'm can we we have to go the same person because i really believe that's if if he can play the role he plays he could take upwards of 12 intercept marks and the afl tends to uh we know norm smith medals have uh, played that role in the past so brian lake springs to mind so yeah, if Geelong win, he's going to be very important to that win. So to me, and I, I think Logan McDonald plays, and we'll, we hopefully get that confirmed when they name the teams later on today, I think the key to Sydney is being able to give their smaller forwards the opportunity to get to work. If Geelong has a vulnerability, it, they are vulnerable to good small mm. forwards. So therefore, you've got to get the ball on the deck for Papley to get to work. Which is why Buddy's role last week was so important and will be this week. Yeah, and, and not just... Papley, um, you know, Heaney can play tall, but he also is Same very valuable Rowan. at ground level. Um, you want 
Sydney's end of this need to be it can't just be about Buddy kicking four mm. it has to be about Papley kicking three it has to be about a couple of others uh, kicking two or three goals as well so yeah, yeah. And, and rowing up the other end it, it's get lost in a lot of this that uh, the former Sydney player so the McCartans on Tom and Jerry that's going to be fascinating good mate of Tom Atkins it's a great this I mean imagine if Sydney wins this and imagine if Paddy and Tom had big games it, Incredible story. It turns Paddy McCartan into, you know, well, he's already one of the best stories of the year. Both play, started as forwards. Yep. Both finished in defence together. Uh, obviously, Paddy's concussion issues. Um, the scenes from earlier in the year when he looked like he was concussed again. Um, and that whole Sydney defence, I know we've debated this in the past, but almost a money ball defence, you know. There's rookies in there. There's players who've been cast off from old clubs. There's players who've been repositioned when they started as forwards. It's amazing they've got this group together and it's created something magical. As you know, I'm a bit more sceptical about the money ball angle on that. I, I think that Nick Blakey is a genuine top 10 pick. I think Dane Rampey was a, a bit of a secret because he came from out of the Sydney system. Mc, Paddy McCartan is, at the end of the day, a number one draft pick. Mm-hmm. And Tom McCartan, while he was taken further down the draft order, was, I think, the youngest player taken in that draft. So always had enormous upside. So a, a, a big chunk of that Sydney defence, I think, are very, very accomplished players mm. and very and very worthy players. They're not cobbled together sort of players off rookie lists and that sort no, of thing. No, no, but I think some of them are rookies, but it's more, um, I think Lloyd was a rookie, is that right? But, so uh, he has been, he is money ball. But, but I think, but it's more so that they've started their careers expecting to um, yep. be forwards. Yep. And now they find themselves at the other end. I just love the way they've done it. Sydney's such a, such a good team. Quarters, I've, good I'm going to find the midfield matchups um, fascinating here because the one thing about Callum Mills and what he adds to, I think, the Sydney midfield is the ability, and you and I liken him to Don Pike, and Don Pike is obviously a member of the Sydney coaching panel. Mm. Don Pike and the Mick Malthouse premiership teams of the 1990s, he played on a player, but he didn't tag him. He was just accountable for a player. And he would was often sent to the opposition's best midfielder. So when they played Geelong, he would play on, say, a Gary Hocking or a Paul Couch, and he would not just stop them, he would actually still get the ball and often have more impact with his possessions than they had. So you'd end up with, say, let's say it was Hocking, he'd end up having 19 and kicking a goal and Pikey would end up having 21 or 22 and kicking two goals. Mm. And once they had basically achieved a man-on-man victory against the opposition's best midfielder, the Eagles felt they were a long way towards getting to the line. I think Mills is that player. So does he go to Dangerfield? With the form Dangerfield, I would, yeah. I would, and you know there was a goal kicked in the, in the, um, I think it was the qualifying final win over Melbourne, and it was the classic moment where Mills was able to flick the switch deep in attack around a stoppage, from being the defender to being the attacker, and he was going to Clayton Oliver, and Clayton Oliver forgot that in that situation he was the defender, mm. and the result was. Um, the ball spilled to Mills. Mills had time and space. Mills kicked a goal. He's brilliant like that. I think he's a very high IQ footy player. And if I'm them, I send him to Dangerfield and I not only try and get him to negate Dangerfield's influence and explosiveness away from stoppage, but I also try and get him to exploit the notion that Paddy might not be defending as strongly as he should when the ball is close to So what role, in, therefore, does Parker play? And um, does he play a role at centre bounces? Parker's, Parker's the ball. 
Yeah, but but it also Chad Warner. So what does Geelong do? Read Chad Warner. What does Geelong and Chad, Chad Warner? By the way, we look at him. You think of him as an attacking player. I think he averages four tackles a game. Yeah. So this is a he can run two ways. Yep. This is an incredibly good player, Chad Warner. Good East Fremantle boy. Um, so Ch- Warner and Parker. So did Geelong put time into them? I reckon Parker will be the sea ball get ball ball into the stoppage. So I think they will try and maintain a structure. Um. And Parker will be the guy that just goes to where the contest is hottest. I think that's the way it played out um, last year in the opening minutes of the game when the game was really, really hot and the ball went and got the ball. Um, I think they'll try and do that, particularly in the early minutes. Then they see how the the game pans out. And Warner, you're right, he's a great two-way runner. So they will want him breaking the lines and getting speed on the ball and testing the older Geelong players and their ability to get Can you imagine how excited he will be right now as the game edges closer? He will be. He looks a bit excited. He will embrace this opportunity big time. Um, And if you're having a bet, and please do responsibly if you are, and you're talking about your first goal kickers, have have a look at Parker. Always seems to bob up early, always gets forward early and lo- knows where the goals are. Well, he's a better kick and a better goal kicker than people give him credit for, isn't he? He's, he's been known to kick four or five. Um, I think there was a game, it might have even been earlier this year, where he got forward and kicked a, kicked a bag. So, yeah, I'd, um, I, I wouldn't rule him out as the first goal Now, the kick. player we haven't mentioned at the other end, who's just as important as Papley, as Heaney, is Stengel. Yeah. So he has had an incredible year. So who goes to him? Oh. It's it, not Jake Lloyd for me. Is it Rampy? I think it's Rampy. Yeah, um, maybe Rampy goes to Rowan, um, or maybe they try and find another match up there. Maybe they try and put a runner rather than a marker on Jeremy Cameron, and and get someone who covers the ground with him as opposed to someone who tries to post up with him, and force Cameron to change his game and maybe go a bit deeper where he might be stymied by the traffic. So you, if you put Rampy on Stingle, you know it's going to be a tough day for Stingle. And yeah. that's a good start to winning the game. Yeah. Um, so I think the two big blokes will be the most. No, I, I understand that, but this is the X factor. Yeah. I reckon we know what they're going to give. You know, one of them will kick multiple goals, but Stengel, I think, just could be that X factor that just separates you from winning and losing. And yeah. I just think they they will have put a hell of a lot of thought into it. Yeah. I'll be really fascinated as we are on Grand Final Day, Duff. We speak about this stuff for week, for for the whole week, if not month, leading up to it. And isn't it great on the day when you see the matchups unfold? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's the most discussed game of the year. So we we pick it apart. So we pretty much – and we end up patting ourselves on the back because you, you analyse it to within an inch of its life and you get a lot of this stuff right. Um, so we, we fancy ourselves as coaches, I think, when we see the way they line up as uh, at the at the first bounce. Now, of course, there's a lot more to coaching than that. Now, side time. issue, and we take our hat off to Josh Kennedy, who just wasn't able to get there this year. He's retiring, the Sydney great. Um, Josh, this week, has uh, brought up my hearty perennial hate. Uh, every player in the squad should get a premiership medal should the team win. I just don't see the point, Duff. I don't think it's meaningful to the players. Uh, some of them might it might be meaningful, but I, like put it this way: Do you think? Do you reckon Derek Kickett would have enjoyed getting a premiership medal in '93? Uh, no, it would just be a reminder to him that he didn't play the game. Would it mean anything to Brad Shepherd and Nick Nat in um, 2018? No, but I think if the club did something for them yep, to, I agree. to acknowledge their performance in getting there. You get squad rings or something like that. I think that would... Um, but the medals are for the players who play on the day. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I like watching Saturday Night Fever, right? Because I like John Travolta's moves. It doesn't mean I can take... I, I was there dancing. You know what I mean? You've got to be at the big dance, really. There are hard luck stories. 
um, Shepard, Nat Nui, Gaff, um, probably Gaff, um, not to rub salt into his wounds, but less so hard luck because he did yep. punch a bloke to break his jaw, yeah, um, to to get his time. But the other two, you know, injured and out of the game. Um, it would be tough for Josh Kennedy this week, but he has played in a grand final. He's a premiership. He has player. played in a premiership. Um, he was superb in 2012. He was superb in 2016, incidentally, when um, he led the way for he two was. and a half, three quarters against the Bulldogs before um, they faded. But he was pretty good that day too. I thought on one leg. Yeah, Buddy was injured that day, wasn't he? He was. Um, he was gave, probably gave he was his all. One of their few good players, actually, in 2014 against um, the Hawks as well, mm. Buddy. So, it, look, it's very hard. Um, you know, Bob Murphy, 2016. Handed it back. Another, I think he did. I th- so, Luke Beveridge gave him the medal on the Premiership dice, which is a nice gesture. I think Bob Murphy later handed it back because he didn't want it because he hadn't earned it. Mm. So, Now it's time for this. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Yes, thank you to Thirsty Camel. Thank you to Green Coast Lager from Stone and Wood Brewery. We'll be giving away a carton today in grand final week. We've got lots of mail to get through. I'll get stuck straight into it. When you do send them, please keep them short and let us know if you're from the great state of Western Australia. You can't win a carton if you're not. Hey, Duffin Quarters, Bushy here. Remember Bushy on Tuesday? It was birthday boy. Happy birthday, Bushy. Happy birthday again. Just want to say a big thanks for the 40th birthday wishes. I was listening on the train Tuesday, Arvo, my actual birthday, and it brought a massive smile to my dial, made my day. I also have a question while I'm here. Wondering if any of the umpires go to the Brownlow. I know it's a player's award, but since they vote for it, I was wondering if any of them actually get to go, as I have never seen any on the broadcast. Keep up the great work. I've been listening from the start. Bushy from Hamilton Hill. I think they do. I have a feeling I've seen an umpire's table. Well, I have. In the past. Yeah, I reckon I have. And to be honest, they're the rowdiest lot of the of them all. So th- they certainly go to the Sandover. And in fact, you talk about rowdy... Dancing on the tables, ties around their heads. They're a rowdy bunch, the umpires. Well, I'm not going to name names, but I believe at one Sandover medal, the two worst behaved people in the room were umpires. <laughs> and I believe they had to be spoken to. Now, this is going back... Some years, like I was in about 20 years. Um, hello, Peter and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. You've just I, outed them. I believe they might have uh, been a little tawdry in and their behaviour. One too many of the sponsor's product. <laughs> I think so. And I think they uh, started mucking around with food on the table <laughs> and doing, doing all manner of uncouth stuff. And, uh, and I think they had to be uh, just reminded that uh, not, not a good idea. Uh, this one from Marie, High Duff and Quarters. What are the chances of Toby Bedford being traded to West Coast from Melbourne? He is originally from Halls Creek, I understand. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't either. I didn't know that Toby Bedford came from Halls Creek. Well, he's quick and he's skillful. And can't really break into the side regularly. No, not at the moment. So I guess if you look at how the, the Demons team may change with the passing of another summer, um, is there an opening that opens up for Toby Bedford? You wouldn't. You'd say possibly, but not definitely. Mm. Um, and they may need to lose um, uh, either midfield or a small forward out of that mix for him to to get um, get a look in. Um, there are worse suggestions than that. I have to say, he's a very skillful player. He's a very quick player, and they need speed. G'day, D and Q. I'm loving the idea of a magic round that hopefully will be held in Perth next year, preferably before the start of June. 
so we can avoid another chopped up and soggy ground. This concept has worked successfully in Brisbane for the past few years in the NRL. Also provides an opportunity for clubs like North Melbourne, GWS and Gold Coast to play with larger crowds in attendance instead of the usual wives, girlfriends and family that turn up at their home venues. Kind regards, Raoul, an avid stone and wood connoisseur. So how does it work, Quarters? Let's say It'll be in April. I'm, I'm, pre- I'm prepared to concede there is a possibility that it won't be in Victoria. Okay. Oh, we've come around in so four days, three days. Let's say it's in Perth and let's say there's nine games in Perth over the weekend. Um, are we talking multiple games at a venue in one day? We're, to- we're talking all at Optus Stadium. We're talking maybe two on Thursday, or one on Thursday, two on Friday, three and three perhaps. Right. So that's how it could work. Uh, and where works, would the WA it, teams fit That's how it works in um, Brisbane. It's at, it's, uh, at Suncourt Stadium. That's how it works. So, so would you have, say, for argument's sake, um, uh, one of – uh, West Coast Fremantle playing on the Friday night and one of West Coast Fremantle playing on the Saturday night? Absolutely, I would. Maximum time slots. I think you'd have to do that. So I think it can happen. Uh, I think it, it can, it's got the possibility where it can move around. So yeah. um, uh, no issue with it. Let's hope it happens to be fantastic when we know we've got the score on the board when it comes to major events, particularly at that stadium. Yes, we have. Um, that's, um, that's very true. It's a beautiful stadium. It's great to play those big events at that stadium. So, um, yep, okay. If the AFL is genuine about um, spreading the joy a little bit more, then um, you would think that given WA has hosted a grand final, it may be that somewhere like South Australia might be the first place they would try to take it. Uh, Before I get into this question, congratulations to Matt Stevick, Brendan Hosking and Simon Meredith, uh, who will officiate in Saturday's grand final as the umpires. Matt Stevick, nine grand finals, Duff, from 450 games. That includes 52 finals. Brendan Hosking, debut. Well done, Brendan. 210 games and five finals. And Simon Meredith, uh, seven grand finals, 440 games, 42 finals. Hayden Gavin Gavin is the emergency. Congratulations to Matt, Brendan and Simon. The email from Paul from Rockingham. Hi, guys. Looking forward to the big game this weekend. With the voting, what do you reckon about the umpires watching the replay of the game to get a better understanding of who the best players are? I don't mind it. Why do they have to vote straight away? Uh, this is for Brownlow medal votes. Yes. Yeah, no, I think it's got to be done. Why? First thought's your best thought. And I, I think, look, it's a bit like tipping quarters. I spend about two minutes on tipping every week, and I found that the more time I spent on it... Yeah, the less successful. I found reasons to not tip who should win, and, and basically who should win should win. And so if you just tip who should win... And usually that's the favourite. You tend to you you probably don't win many tipping competitions, but you probably end up in the upper reaches of most tipping competitions. I don't over, I, I don't spend overs on it. That's for sure. And uh, the only time I change my tip after I've handed them in, they never get up. I, I do suspect that they look at statistics a bit, which makes you wonder how they missed Tommy Barassa's statistics when he had thirty and took eighteen marks. That one would have jumped off the page at me, I reckon, when I was when I was going down the list. Look at the marks column. Oh, someone took eighteen marks. Who would that be? Oh, a defender. Oh, he must have played well. Maybe in the best three players on the ground that day. No, well, you know my theory. 
Uh, this one from Scott. You'll like this, Duff. Hi, Duff and Quarters. I drive a lot for work. Esperance to Waluna, for example, and I look forward to your pods. Every, That's a fair drive. Every drive. Funnily enough, you mentioned Widgie Multha one day as I drove past Widgie Multha. Apparently very good chips at the Widgie Multha okay. service station. Uh, what I am super keen for is the 2023 season. I, said, I think the Eagles will be pushing for a top eight spot again. And if I'm right, it means Duff will need to hold back on the snarky comments about how bad they were this year. On my drive last weekend, for example, Duff could hardly hold himself back when saying the West Coast Eagles were a proper 17th team. I'm sure the truth is somewhere between my rose-coloured glasses and Duff's one-eyed hatred. Oh, that's a bit harsh. But next year, the West Coast Eagles will have Alan, McGovern, Sheed, Yo, Shuey, Cole, Waterman, Petrocelli all fit after a good pre-season, hopefully. And in Chesa, Cully, Hoff and Jamison improving, they will look pretty solid. Almost the Geelong model, old wise heads with some speed. Keen to hear if Duff needs more chamomile tea as you read this out. <laughs> I do like that. Um, Widgie Multha, actually, I often refer to Widgie Multha because it was a favourite saying of one of my um, friends from younger footy days, Vic Pios. And, you know, we're not playing Widgie Multha, you know. It's sort of like meaning, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, but West Coast were a genuine 17th team. And... Um, and maybe one of the poorest 17th teams we've seen in recent years. And when I say that, if you want to know how I back that up, we'll look at the ladder and the percentage. And uh, my, and the games won. My goodness, then, how bad were North? North were bad. West Coast did have COVID as an excuse. They had injuries as an excuse. Um, I don't see them playing finals next year, do you? Nope, I don't. Uh Duff and Quarters, thanks again for another AFL season of great podcasts. I don't miss an episode. Um, this is from our friend uh, Mick Aussie in Canada, by the way, who has his own footy podcast over yep. there. Um, one, AFL Grand Final must stay a day GF. This is why. In Canada and the US, the game starts at 9.30pm to 12.30am Friday night and about 80... Um, Plus, Aussie Rules footy clubs in Canada and the US have parties at sports bars, etc., along with possibly, inverted commas, millions watching live on TSN TV in Canada and Fox Sports 1, 2 or Fox Sports Plus in US. A twilight or night GF ruins all this for exposure of the great game into North America as it would come on at middle of the night or early morning and thus no parties at sports bars and great player recruiting opportunities. Great email, uh, Mick Aussie, but I'm not sure if the AFL's too worried about 80-plus. Um, well, you know what they should be worried about, though? And so this is a really worthy email, and I would love to know those viewing numbers because if those viewing numbers are substantial, then that is a factor because how do we grow our game? How do we grow our market? Let's put the best game, the biggest game, on TV to an international audience and not a, um, you know, sort of like we watch it for a hobby international audience, but an international audience where this may become like Super Bowl is here. Um, where you, um, you know, we have the big Super Bowl parties in Perth, even though we don't play gridiron in Western Australia. So I, I like that email, and that is a, absolutely a um, thing for the AFL to consider if indeed the viewing numbers are substantial. 
Hello, Duff and Quarters. I think it was last week you said Lob would re-sign with Freo if offered the same contract as he is currently on. Logue, as well as being lured to North on big money that Freo aren't able to match because of the money earmarked for the Jackson deal. With all the talk being Jackson for seven years at around a million a year needing two first-round picks to get the trade done, seems the cost of getting Jackson to Freo is way too high. Loeb, Log and two first-rounders all out the door and in return a good backup Ruckman? Don't get me wrong, Jackson is a good player and one day might be great, but his cost is not... Is not just the two first rounders, it's also the other players Frio lose because they can't pay them what they are worth. If you ask me, it would be a real feather in Peter Bell's cap if instead of selling his farm in pursuit of unicorns, he managed to keep his two best tall forwards. Also, any risk of Norse tradable future picks being shunted down the order if the AFL announces a Tassie team. And your thoughts on whenever Essendon should look at David Noble in a football manager role once he has finished his St Kilda review. He seems to have a talent for sorting out shambolic clubs. Just on that Tassie deal, I don't think it would be there's a suggestion it'd be coming in next year. No, but would they start giving draft concessions in preparation for a team coming in, say, two or three years? I, I suspect not this soon because I think what we're talking about is the last piece of this puzzle being the stadium. And the stadium obviously takes three years to build, I would think, possibly four years, depending on where you build it and how stable the dirt is. It's being built, um, well, the plan is to build it on the waterfront, which potentially means pylons driven all the way to bedrock to keep the stadium stable, as we saw in the um, in the Perth Stadium construction. So I would say that wouldn't be a factor next year. Um, the other thing about next year's draft, I'm told next year's draft is considered to be stronger than this year's draft. So if these were future second and third round picks that were on the table for Logue and Tucker, for example, if they go to North Melbourne, that may be a reasonable outcome for Fremantle. We'd get them back into the draft in a big way for next year, even if the first round pick for next year uh, went on the table for Jackson and may help smooth out the cost. Um the other thing, of course, is that with the doubts over Alistair Clarkson's availability, given what he faces, does that have an impact on Griffin Logue in particular? I think that's a question that we will see answered over the next week or so. Hi, Duff and Quarters. I'm a Perth local and loyal listener of the pod. I'm on my way home from work in the city on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I've enjoyed listening to your discussions around a Tasmanian team. Here's my take on it. Um, is putting a team in Tasmania the right thing to do from a football perspective? My heart says yes, but my head says no. The reasons for football heartland, competition can't be considered a national one until a team is placed in Tassie. Um, generations of Tasmanians have had to adopt a mainland team and see their best talent leave the island. It's time they had their own team to support where local talent could say. I'll praise you the rest of it. My concerns are, will young players want to play in Tassie? Will Tasmanians fully get behind the new team? Um, he's talking about the north-south divide there, of course. Will this struggle to keep talent living in Tasmania and a struggle to get locals to adopt the team as their first team? I can really see the team struggling with on-field success. Um, he also mentions, why is this argument between Hobart and Launceston such a thing? A simple Wikipedia search suggests Lonnie has a population of 87,645. Surely these northern Tasmanians don't really feel they deserve an AFL presence in a re small regional hub. A similar search on Hobart suggests the population is 247,068 or nearly three times bigger than their baby brother up north. Plus, it's the capital, has much greater attractions like Mona, which is the art museum there, yeah. and is beautifully placed on the picturesque Derwent. What am I missing here? Love to hear your thoughts. Wayne from Waterman's Bay. Absolutely agree with your final point on Hobart. It's a magnificent city. The stadium would look first class. Uh, if anyone who's ever spent much time in Hobart, Tasmania, the whole island's beautiful. 
it's beautiful up north too, but Hobart is a very special place. So what I would say to that is that there are people in Tasmania that view Launceston as more geographically central. And they view Hobart as down, right down in the yeah, southern Yeah, they're from the Launceston, those people. Well, not just Launceston. I think other places around Launceston, there are – I mean, you would – Devonport. Devonport. Is Burnie around there somewhere? Well, it's, yeah, it's north coast, yes. So those places, which are – they're significant population yes, centres as yep. well. So yep. Alveston, um, um, Penguin. It could be argued that 200 k's to go to Launceston is not a deal breaker, but 350 – or 400 k's to go from, say, Olverston, Burnie, or Devonport to Hobart might be a deal breaker. But I don't know. You would know better than me. If you have a bad loss there, your coach might send you to Port Arthur, or they might make you walk the overland track as punishment. Yeah, there'd be some pretty rugged country down there. Oh, it's beautiful. I've done the overland track. Magnificent. Takes you about seven days if you if you do it properly. So you would think that, okay, so the the plan for the stadium is 23,000 with a roof. Not sure why that would cost seven hundred and fifty. So we'd like it closer to thirty, wouldn't we? I think, yeah, something north of twenty-five. I think makes a big difference. I think because I think twenty-three thousand will be gobbled up by Tasmanians. I reckon they're they're a big enough city to manage that. Oh yeah. And that being the case, they to make this fly for the Tasmanian government, I think they need two or three thousand visitors from other clubs coming to watch their teams play the Tassie Devils or whoever they are, and then you generate the sort of money that will allow them to justify the insertion of $12 million a year into this team, which is what is being asked for, basically, $12 million a year for, I think, the first 12 years. So a $144 million investment by the Tasmanian government. By the way, West Australians who haven't been there, when, not if, when a Tasmanian team comes into the comp, make sure you get there to see your team because it's beautiful, there's lots to do, and... Um, great food, great wine, great golf courses, and it's um, it's as close as you'll get. Don't laugh. It's as close as you'll get to England. It is colder, and it is just it feels a bit like it's got that feel about it. Okay, it's a little island place. So it should be a great test cricket venue then quarters. Well, it, it's not a bad test cricket venue because basically the problem with many Australian venues for test cricket is that it's bloody hot, and the sun. Not many people want to sit in the sun for six hours in um. Well, in they Australia. play test cricket at Bellarive. I know they do, but a really world class ground mm. where they might be able to put yeah twenty. So this 30. venue in particular, yeah, I think the new, I think the new venue would be the Test cricket ground. Might yeah. put Tasmania firmly in the running for more Test matches. Hobart Hurricanes in the Big, Big Bash yeah, League. Yeah. Yep. Uh, high Duff and Quarters with Meek nominating Hawthorne as his preferred destination. Should Frio be asking for a straight swap for Jack Gunston, young up and coming ruck who will be Hawks' number one ruck for a thirty-year-old who has one or two good years left? Gunston could open the door for Frio to trade lob because Gunston can take his spot. Would also be good for young players like Amos and Tracy to learn under a three-time Premiership player. Who would say no? Cheers, Sam from Sampson. Oh, look, I think Lloyd Meek's a very good player who will be playing. Regular uh, AFL next year. I'm not sure though. Ned Reeves, who's the Hawthorne sort of up and coming ruckman. And he's there's another one as well, isn't there? Max Lynch. Max Lynch. Uh, Max Lynch has had a few issues this year with concussion and what have you, but um, certainly they rate him. They rate Reeves. So I'm not sure with Lloyd Meek uh, if Hawthorne. I know he's nominated them, but I'm not sure if that's the club he should have nominated. So really, Lloyd Meek should be going somewhere where he's not a depth ruckman. Absolutely. Which to me, I know that. West Coast and Fremantle appear allergic to trading with each other, but it just sticks out like the dog's proverbials mm. that Lloyd Meek 
should be a player that West Coast seek. And I think Trevor Nisbet indicated that to me earlier in the week. And I would have thought that Fremantle, if West Coast are prepared to pay maybe a little bit overs for the trade to get the Ruckman that would succeed Nick Natanui, I think Fremantle should be prepared to do that deal, particularly if Jackson arrives at, at their club and not West Coast. Chris from Middle Swan here. Your show is one of the most informative and easy listening footy podcasts around. I have a couple of possible draft prospects and would like your opinion. West Coast pick two and a third round to Gold Coast for their picks five and seven. Junior Rioli to Port for the Came, the Amon Compo pick and Martin Frederick. By the way, that's on the proviso. Amon still wants to go to Hawthorne Duff. Correct. Given so the events it, of the last couple of it, days, I think he still does. But yeah. I'm just I'm being a bit. We're, we're talking about things that happened yep. six six years ago. Yep. So you would think that um, uh, you would think it wouldn't necessarily be the deal breaker in a trade. A, a bit, it's more likely to affect Griffin Logue's decision to go to North Melbourne, given he doesn't know for sure who the coach will be now. I think. Yep. Uh, Ferg from Perth writes, Hi, fellas. Uh, long-time listener, first-time emailer. What are the best headlines you can manufacture based on the upcoming grand final trade period and draft? There's the obvious ones about Bell lobbing comments at Colin Young yeah. uh, or something where the Daniel McStay will Daniel McGo. But I'm sure you two can do much better than I with all your years of journalism experience. Um, well, I've probably got a bit more of a background in headline writing, but I just put down a couple here for the grand final. Um, Buddy Beautiful, Danger Zone, Low Logan's run, that's if uh, Logan McDonald has three bounces and kicks a goal. Very good. Uh, what about if Buddy doesn't have such a Buddy's decaning? Um, Jezza, you'll beauty with Jeremy Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> or Hickey, bruised but happy. That's not bad. Mm. That's not bad. Mm. I like that. Yep. Uh, uh, hi, Duff and Quarters. Uh, Mrs. Long. Hickey, Hickey love bites Geelong. <laughs> Good. There we go. See, I'm already get these. I'm going to pass these on to our uh, production crew for Saturday. Um, Rory finally lobs at Kennel. Yep. There you go. Yep. Um, yeah, Keep them coming as we as we roll on. Hi, Duff and Quarters. Mrs. Longmuir here. Hi, Mrs. Longmuir. Nice to hear from you again. I have to say that Duff hasn't sold me on abalone. It sounds like it takes longer to get ready than Rory Lobb's hair. <laughs> More importantly, I want to thank Duff for his Paddy Cripps Brownlow tip. He said he was solid on Cripps, so I put a bet on and won. You did. You were solid on him. So I just my thought on Cripps was always that I think people forgot how well he got off the mark and, um, and that ability to garner those 15, 16 votes early in the count, that was always going to stand him in good stead. And I knew he would get the three in round 23. Did you? Yeah. But the game was decided right at the death. Carlton all but won it, and he strapped him to his back after quarter time. He was he was always going to get the three in that okay. game. And he'd already shown the capacity quarters to poll best on ground tallies in losing teams. Yeah, that's a fair point. I just I'm always dubious about the <clears throat> three in losing teams. I'm not sure they shouldn't be deserved, but I'm always dubious. So so my view on Paddy was that I figured that he was only going to have to get nine or ten votes in dribs and drabs through the middle of the count to get to something in the very high twenties, maybe even thirty. So Mrs. Longmuir is wondering if Duff can help him again. Both of these grand final help bets. Her. Help her. Sorry, help me again, she says. <laughs> uh, both of these grand final bets are paying about the same, so which one would you go with? Six or more goals scored in every quarter or Guthrie, Dangerfield and Duncan to combine for 90-plus disposals? Oh, jeez. I'm going to go the latter. Yeah, 
I don't know because six goals in every quarter means 24 across the, the game. It, it only means 12 goals a team. That's gettable. Sydney will apply an enormous amount of pressure. I don't know that all of those players, those Geelong players, will get off the chain to the extent that... Um, You're going to get 90 plus. I, I'd go the first one. I'd okay. go the first one. Six goals in every quarter. Just a thought, and it's been raised before, writes Daniel. Makes me wonder, if Fremantle didn't go for Jackson, who would would, would so many be wanting to leave a club after career best form? Does Jackson solve our problems up forward, or does it create gaps in our midfield with discontent? When big money is thrown to catch one big player, others wonder why they should be loyal on less. So Acres, Lob, Logue, obviously there's been offers put in front of them. I think Tucker and Meek, it's really for opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, so I think, that all as I said in a piece last week, all these trades are different. Um, we, in the case of Tucker and Meek, it's definitely for opportunity. And in the case of Blake Akers, it would definitely be circumstantial. So Blake Akers, if Blake Akers played, my understanding is the contract offer from Fremantle, is that if Blake Akers played as well as he has played this year, he would be able to make as much money over the next two years playing at Fremantle as he could at Carlton. But the money at Carlton is guaranteed and there's an extra year on the table at Carlton. If you're Blake Akers and you see, you're seeing that queue of young players gather behind you and you know that there's guaranteed money on the table, I think you're taking that deal. And there is absolutely a legitimate argument as to why Griffin Logue should take extra money to go to North Melbourne. There are also counter-arguments, as in why would you um, go to a team that's struggling when you've been playing for a team that's struggling that's just emerged from those struggles and now looks like for a run of finals? The other thing that concerns me about Griffin Logue is that I think he was hocked around. Now, if you're a player like Griffin Logue and you're happy and you're playing good footy and you like your surrounds, I would have thought you negotiate with the club you're at to get a deal that satisfies you. You don't hock, you don't get hocked around by your manager because sooner or later, under those circumstances, there will be someone comes with an offer that is more than your club offers. Now, if Griffin Logue plays good footy and settles happily at North Melbourne, then well done, Colin Young. If he's unhappy and doesn't play good footy at North Melbourne, then I think this is a big manager's boo-boo. Mm-hmm. Is it not just the devil's advocate? Is it not incumbent on the manager to get the best deal for their player? It's un- incumbent on the manager, I think, to allow for a deal and a situation which will enable the player to maximise his football career. Okay. Now, that isn't. there's a difference between that and getting the best money, I think. Sure. Uh, Tony from Balcatta. Um, what would you do if you were the under seven, in the under-17 Futures squad? This is a good email. Uh, playing before the grand final. Question. Play at the G before the grand final or play in a Colts WA Waffle preliminary final? Now, the reason the email sent is there's three um, Peel Thunder Colts players have chosen to play for their side in WA rather than play on the MCG before the grand final. So it's a... Under-17 Futures game, the players are Mitch Edwards, Ethan Logan and Clay Hall. So they're going to play in the Colts this weekend here rather than go and play in that Futures at the MCG. You know, and good, good on them for making that choice, Duff. But I'm going to say, if I was in their shoes, I'm not sure. Apparently one of these kids is a mad Geelong fan too. So I'd be playing for my team. Okay. You, you play all year with these players. You bleed with them. Um, that, to me, I, I would say it's not an absolute lay down Mazir decision but it's a reasonably simple decision for me 
Okay. Uh, hi, guys. Been a regular listener of the podcast, and I live in Bedford. So do I. Hi. How are you going, Dan, from Bedford? Uh, quarters, I also suffer from having very small hands. Is there something about Bedford that attracts the small-handed? Can't answer that. Uh, my question is regarding whether you think the Hawthorne scandal will affect Fremantle players Griffin Logan, Darcy Tucker requests to be traded to North Melbourne. Um, sounds like a Monty Python skit, I know. A memorial for the old boys who fought in the wars in Africa to keep China British. In particular, <laughs> Logue, as I know Tucker is from Victoria originally, but whether the issue will make them change their minds or at least explore an alternative team. Also, do you think Connor Blakely is any chance to be picked up now he has been delisted? North Melbourne might be desperate shortly. That's a really good question. I, I spoke to Connor's manager a couple of weeks ago. It seemed to me that there was limited interest in Connor. Um, Connor, there is no more wholehearted player than Connor Blakely. He's an exceptional waffle player. Um, there's just a couple of little blots in his game that give AFL clubs reason to question whether he has applications at the high level. I wouldn't rule out a chance for Connor at the high level, but I think if I was betting, it would be more unlikely than likely. I think we'll see him either... I think we'll see him in a second-tier competition somewhere uh, around Australia next year. You know who he'd be a great get for? He'd be a great get for West Coast Waffle Team if they could get him. Just a, a bloke who's going to turn up every week. He's going to be a monster around the stoppage. Yep. He's going to win contested He's going ball, to get 30-plus. He's going to get 30-plus. If I was West Coast, I'd be into Connor Blakely. Okay, Duff, we've got to pick a winner. Big winner, too, in grand final week. Uh, earlier in the week, we had um, Jaden from Two Rocks. That was the state of origin question. We had Smithy, son of a wage and farmer. Um, that was his uh, the criticism of uh, Liam Henry. He thought was a bit out of line. Or do we go to Scott? Scott, who drives a lot for work. Uh, Scott, who drives a lot. <laughs> Scott, who drives a lot. I'm leaning towards Scott, who drives a lot, to be quite honest. Well, if you're from Esperance, you're halfway there, Scott, anyway. So, uh, well done. You get it. Well done, Scott. And you'll be sending your details to this address. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. We have, as usual, been brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch can better their bet. Download the TabTouch app today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1-800-858-858 if you encounter any difficulties. Quarters, we're both on Geelong. Roll on the biggest game of the year, and we'll be back to review it on Tuesday. Look forward to it. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know.